0: The Bible says, And God said unto Jacob, Arise, go up to Bethel, and dwell there, and make there an altar unto God that appeared unto thee when thou fleddest from the face of Esau thy brother. Then Jacob said unto his household and to all that were with him, Put away the strange gods that are among you, and be clean, and change your garments let us arise and go up to Bethel and I will make there an altar unto God who answered me in the day of my distress and was with me in the way which I went and they gave unto Jacob all the strange gods which were in their hand and all their earrings which were in their ears and Jacob hid them under the oak which was by Shechem and Jacob hid them. The word hid actually concealed, or if you will, buried them under the oak which was by Shechem. Amen. This morning I'd like to just talk a little while along this subject matter. The aftermath of burying a god. Little G. The aftermath of burying a god. And that shouldn't be buying. I'm not buying a god, I'm burying a god. It's just a, just a typo. You heard me, burying a God, there could be a, there is an aftermath to that too, all right, but that's not necessarily our subject matter for today. Maybe this needs to be a series. I don't know. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. It could be a sign. Lord Jesus, we come to you right now, we need you, Father, Lord, in this place, God that you're able to help our hearts and our minds. God as we would focus the Lord and look to your word, you able to minister, Lord Jesus to us. I know today, God, your word is alive, it's quick, it's powerful, it's sharper than any two-edged sword. It's able to meet us, Lord Jesus, where we need to be met today. I pray, oh God, help us to glean from your word and your scriptures and we'll be thankful for it. God, know that our lives will be benefited by it. In the lovely name of Jesus Christ that I pray, amen and amen. Everybody say amen. Amen. You may be seated this morning. Our scripture setting today is concerning uh, the story of the family of Jacob and their departure after some uh, horrific things have just happened in their family. I think it's uh, necessary to denote this morning that uh, this cry to Jacob by God to return to Bethel is not the first time that God had asked of Jacob, or should I even say told Jacob, that he needs to return back to Bethel, the place where he first pitched his tent and had a relationship with the Lord. As a matter of fact, whenever Jacob... Is back into the country of uh, a relative of his by the name of Laban, and he has already acquired his wives of Leah and Rebecca, or, or Rachel, rather. After he's already had these two wives, it's in that land, uh, being under Laban, that Jacob has already received a call to return back home, if you will, and return back uh, to Bethel. But as uh, Jacob is, and as we are sometimes. Uh, we're a little uh, reluctant at times to be obedient when that first voice is called. Whenever God says do something, we have all experienced that at different times in our life. We, we put God on trial. And, is this really God? Is, this, is, this, is he speaking to me? Is this exactly what he wants me to do? Or is this the enemy? You know? And so Jacob, to a certain degree, he pauses uh, in his obedience to the voice of God, and he lingers still yet. Uh, in his journey, he could have. In other words, he could have got to Bethel a whole lot quicker than what he got there. Uh, but he kind of lingers a little. He, he's smelling the flowers on his journey back home, if they were flowers. But he's just kind of taking his time, and and by doing so, so, there are some things that that took place that was really, I believe, directly related to him just dragging his feet and getting back to Bethel, getting back to that place. Although there were some great things that happened as well. Whenever he heard, firstly, that the Lord wanted him to go back to Bethel, uh, he gets his families together, his livestock's together, which has become great now at this point in time in his life. And he starts his journey back home. He sets everybody over that brook of Jabbok that we know of in Scripture. And it's there then at night that he wrestles with the angel of the Lord and that his name is forever changed from Jacob to Israel that he's prevailed with God and he has prevailed uh, with man. But he also comes to a place then that he should go on, he should continue going on home. He's already met with his brother Esau, the very thing that he was afraid of if he were to go back home that, that might be turning him away from going back home because when he left home to begin with, Esau was seeking his life, wanting to kill him, wanting him to be a dead man. So it's hard to go back home when you're not welcome there. And so uh, he's going back home and has that still, that intimidation, and that fear in his life. But now he's already met his brother. Everything seems to be well. There seems to be peace between he and his brother. And so he should just have a, a freedom and just a burden lifted off his shoulder, ready to go back home. Yet that is not the case we read that that he buys some land and he pitches his tent and he establishes himself in a place somewhere between where Laban lived and Bethel or back home and and while he was there one of his only daughter Dinah was taken advantage of Uh, she's raped there's a lot of calamity two two of his boys go out and they're going to wreak some vengeance upon these who have raped their sister and they got a bad mark upon their life as a result of that and brought a bunch of disdain to the family of Jacob and it's after all of these terrible things have happened uh, that we're at the point of Genesis chapter 35. Might I also say that that Jacob and Esau come from a rich heritage of people of God. Jacob and Esau come from a great ancestry of Abraham and Isaac and then Jacob of course. A great ancestry of people That were devoted to the Lord and who were seeking for a city whose builder and maker was God. They were the one true people of the Lord Jesus Christ. They did not serve the pagan gods as the other nations around them. Abraham from the very beginning, his household, his father had served those type of gods. But God had called Abraham out of that mess called him out of that of serving other gods to serve the one true God and so Abraham being the father if you will of us all to a certain sense whenever we consider ourselves of Jesus name absolutely one God people all the way back to Abraham being called out of serving many gods to the one true God there was just a line that was started was serving the one true God and Jacob had been a part of that line a part of that family But something had happened during the years that he was separated from home. The years that he was no longer around home. Something happened. Something even happened whenever he had taken himself these wives that he had. The Bible says that he left in such haste to begin with. Partly because of Laban and his wrongdoings to make him serve as he served. And being very deceitful uh, and heavy bailing Leah. Whenever Jacob thought he was getting Rachel that... That he was ready to leave, and in doing so, the Bible says that Rachel took some of her her daddy's gods, took some of her daddy's gods, and took them with her. And they start on their journey, and Laban overtakes Jacob and his his daughters, Jacob's wives, in their journey, and he's a little frustrated with Jacob. You didn't even tell me you were going to leave. You didn't. You, if you'd have told me, we could have thrown a party, you could have left with mirth and we could have had a bunch of rejoicing but that's not the way it was. And besides that, he says, I'm missing some of my gods and uh, uh, you, you stole these things away and Jacob is totally... He's ignorant of all what's happened. He doesn't know that Rachel has taken these things. And so he says, You can search every tent, search all the livestock, all, everything within the caravan. And if, if, if it's there, you can have it. But so on and so forth. And so uh, Laban begins to search and he searches Leah's tent. And there's nothing down there. He searches Rachel's tent. And Rachel says, uh, uh, Dad, she said, I would get up. She hid the, the gods in, in some camel's fur and she's kind of sitting on them she would dad I would get up but the custom of women and I don't need to go into that I believe that's well enough explained the custom of women is upon me and I'm not able to arise and so she hid those gods but with that, with that there was then brought into the family of Jacob some false gods and those false gods wouldn't just stay within the hands of Rachel that would somehow impact and affect his family and his children because you cannot bring false gods within a household without it having some type of impact beyond the individual that brings it into the house. And so it was going to have a great impact upon their family. And so Jacob is seen in Genesis 35 a family now that's in a position and place that had once been totally given to the one true God that are now straying from that place that they had once Known. And God speaks to Jacob at this point of time in their life and he says to Jacob yet again, Jacob, you need to get back to Bethel and you need to make an altar to the one true God there. I, can you imagine Jacob? Uh, there had to be something going through his mind that he could survey his life. This is where I was and this is where I am. How did this happen I can only imagine Jacob walking around the camp of his own family looking at his children looking at his sons the state if you will of his household seeing if you will pagan gods images that are here and images that are there false images all around and thinking what in the world has happened to my family I mean, I understand that Jacob was once the supplanter, but he's wrestled with an angel since then. His name has been changed to Israel. He is a prince of God. Amen. Wondering where did all this superstition come from that's in my family. We were a part of the royal family of God. We we had a covenant that was made with my grandfather and my father before me and going through his camp i can imagine him comparing here are these lifeless deities gods of wood gods of stone lifeless deities and he had known before the life giver and here are the idols of lifelessness see his grand can you imagine if you could see his grandchildren just playing with one of those little gods playing with one of those gods of wood or god of stone, how his heart would probably just fall down to his feet and despair to think, what is it that caused them to hold on to these? Why why did we get ensnared by this? Why did we get entrapped by this? What, What caused us to lose sight of the great heritage that we had with the one true God? I believe this morning, and it's without doubt, that inside of every one of us that God has created us with something inside of our hearts and something inside of our lives to want to hold on to something beyond the physical we all have a soul uh, some people describe it that there is a God void in every one of our lives we, we've all been created with that reaction to want to worship something And it's our choice and our will where we direct or what that object of worship is. But the void's going to be filled. Voids always get filled. Amen. (laughs) Voids always get filled. (laughs) You're going to make me laugh this morning. The reason why I know that is because whenever we first come to this church, we we had certain ideas for different rooms. And room number three over here, void, wasn't used at the time. And over a period of time, it filled up with stuff. Room number three now is a Sunday school classroom whenever they use it. And room number two has become room number three. It used to be a Sunday school classroom, but now it became an empty space. Guess what happened? The void is starting to get filled over here in the baptismal rooms that are still yet unfinished, is they were empty. We had those empty, Brother Fred. But if you walk into that room now, please don't. But if you walk into that room now, the void is being filled. It's the tendency of void, whether they be physical or in our lives. It's the tendency of voids to be filled. Whenever God breathed the breath of life into us and we became a living soul I believe every person according from the very beginning of the book of Genesis we have a body we have a spirit we have a soul we were created in that way but we're searching for something deeper we're looking for something to fill the void if you will in our life there's a hope there's a longing that's inside of everyone we're looking for an anchor of our souls Hebrews 6 and verse 18 tells us and it speaks these things that by two immutable things in which it was impossible for God to lie we might have a strong consolation who have fled for refuge look to lay hold upon the hope set before us which hope we have as an anchor that hope is an anchor of the soul both sure and steadfast which entereth into that which entereth into that within the veil in other words Almighty God desired that this hope would lead every person into a relationship with him, that that search, that longing for a hope would lead them into relationship with him, and that's the reason why he created us. The Bible says in Revelations 4:11, "Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for thou hast created all things. for thy pleasure they are created and we're created. We're created for the Lord. And so it's only right for us to have a longing for our creator, a longing for our creator, a hope an anchor with our creator. But since we have this free will, it's not always satisfied or filled with the things it ought to be filled with. Sometimes we look in the wrong direction. And I believe that's what happened to Jacob's family. He left home. He left Bethel. He left the house of God. It created a void. That void wasn't going to go too long without being filled. Amen. They had a faith. They had a belief but it was going to be filled with something. For them, it was filled with the pagan gods of their land, of his wives. And they started placing their faith in their idols. Start placing their faith in their gods of all sorts. And it would go to deduce that whatever you place your faith in will become your God. Amen. Then the call for it came from God, though, to Israel or Jacob, however you wish to call him. Arise, take your family, and go to Bethel. Go to Bethel. Jacob, go back to that place where the ladder was and the angels were ascending and descending upon the ladder. Go back to Bethel, that place that is denoted as the gateway to heaven. Go back to Bethel, the dwelling place of God, the house of God. And so preparation started being made for Jacob. He and his family was going to go back to the house of God. But before they could go back to the house of God, before they could go back to the one true God, they had to do something with their strange gods. Mm-hmm. They had to do something with those gods of wood and stone. Hey Amen. Israel called his family together. He told them. He said, we're having a family meeting. He says, I want you to go get your gods. I want you to go get your gods of wood and your gods of stone. Go get your images. Go get your icons. Go get whatever it is that represent or has represented a god to you over the years. I want you to give them to me. And the Bible says that Jacob took these gods that were given to him, the earrings, the idols, the images, the icons, whatever it was, he took them to the forest of Shechem and he buried them or hid them under the great oak tree. Now imagine his children, this is all they've ever known. His kids, they've, they've only known these gods of wood and stone. And could you imagine... I mean, just literally, where are you taking my Lord? Where are you taking my God? Where's my God to be buried? What's happening to my God? How will I ever find Him again? What what will I do now? What will I do after you've buried my God? I mean... uh, Uh, these false gods are are buried and and Israel's going to take them to Bethel the dwelling place of the one true God you wouldn't think that would be too much of a havoc but you know what Idolatry and and false gods have a way of snafuing you into a belief that it's real the Bible speaks of a man in Isaiah he's working to build his God now that there within itself just gives a little difficulty to me But he's working to build his God. He's got out his chisel. He's got out his hammer. He's whittling away at the wood. As a matter of fact, somewhere along the journey, it describes him that he's getting tired because he's having to manufacture his God. And so this piece of wood that he's been working on to grave his God out of, he's getting hungry, this man is. You know what he does? He takes part of the same tree that he's making his God out of and he builds a fire with the wood. Now listen to me. And so here's part of the same substance that he's making his God out of that he starts a fire with. And then he makes some food upon the fire that comes from the same stuff that his God came from. And it all goes back to this idea. What in the world do you have to do in order that you're the one manufacturing the God to begin with? It's kind of like back in 1 Samuel 5 whenever the Ark of the Covenant is stolen by the Philistines and they take that Ark of the Covenant into the house of Dagon. Now, that, that that wasn't a competition thing that was set up. They thought they were really honoring the Ark of the Covenant, honoring God for bringing Him into their God's house. But the Bible says the next morning, their God was fell down on His face. And what happens? The ones that serve that God are coming in and they're picking Him up. Ah, there you go, buddy. All right, everything okay? The next morning, He's fell down on His face again. His hands are separated from His body. His head is separated from Him. He, if I could say like this, that guy was just in all pieces. And the servants had to come back in and try to put him. Man, wouldn't you like to be serving a god like that? A god you got to manufacture, a god you got to set up, a god that hey hey he's just as much as a re- we can just throw him in the fire. You know it doesn't matter. You know just whatever, just 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 do this with your god. That was the mentality that Jacob was dealing with. Amen. He says, "What what what? Here's the people. What are we going to do? What are you doing with our god? Listen to me. Whenever you buried the strange gods in your life, the aftermath after that will." be this what are we going to do now where are we going to go now what are we going to serve now where is our help going to come from now there is hallelujah ladies and gentlemen it brings a story to my mind of New Testament scripture of a precious lady in the New Testament by the name of Mary Magdalene that had a similar question she had a hope she had an anchor of her soul we find her story in John 20 and verse 1 the Bible says the first day of the week cometh Mary Magdalene early when it was yet dark unto the sepulcher and seeth the stone taken away from the sepulcher. Then she runeth and come to Simon Peter to the other disciple whom Jesus loved and said unto them they have taken away the Lord out of the sepulcher. We know not where they have laid him. We're not sure. Not, I know people try to put a label on it but we're not real sure of the day or even the year of the Lord's birth. Don't really know per se the exact season. I know they tell you it's December the 25th, all right, but good luck with that to prove it. Yet the day of his resurrection is known all over the world, and I'm not talking about Easter either. (laughs) rose from the tomb. But for three days previous to him resurrecting from the tomb, each follower of Jesus must have wondered, what's happened to my Lord? What am I going to do now? And so that is in part how Mary then comes to the tomb early that morning. What what am I going to do now? The calamity, the one that we had put faith in, we've anchored our hope in, of our soul in. What are we going to do now? But whenever that day come, she came to the tomb. The anchor of her soul supposedly is gone. That question is in her mind, where is she going to go? What is she going to do? And she comes to the tomb, if you will, of where her God was buried. But whenever she comes up on this tomb, different than what Jacob could do if he went back to the oak. Different than what they could do if they would go back to Muhammad's tomb different than what they could do if they were to go back to Confucius' tomb. When Mary came to her God's tomb, she noticed something. The tomb is empty. The tomb is empty. And when you can't find your God in a grave, you go to your God's house. Because Jacob, you go on back as many times as you want to to that oak out there in Shechem and you're still going to find your idols under the earth where they were buried. But for us today that serve the one true Lord, whenever we go to the tomb where our God was buried, so to speak, it's empty. So whenever the tomb is empty, you go to his house. Get back to Bethel. Because if you can't find God in his tomb, believe with rest assurance that he is dwelling in his house all the Muhammad believers they're still waiting at the tomb every individual of Confucius is still waiting at the tomb but not us today we don't have the aftermath like others do with their little gods they're still standing there they're waiting they're waiting to hear from God for God to interact in their life for God to somehow settle an issue in their scenario not us because we made our way to the house because the tomb's empty the tomb is void we're going to the house of our God Oh, let's just clap our hands into the Lord this morning. I love you, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Brother McGee, I'm just not sure whether there are those certain things in my life that I would label a God. I'll tell you a good way to find out. Bury it. And a little while later, go back and see if it's still there bury it and go back and see if it's still there if it's still there it's that little G it's a little God but if it's the righteous one if it's the almighty if it's the creator of the universe you won't find him but in his house he's not in a grave he's not in a tomb but he'll be in his house hallelujah see all hope was lost for them because they buried something that was going to stay dead and buried. But not for us. Not for us. Our hope is still secure. Our anchor is still steadfast. Our belief is still strong. He's alive. He's well forevermore. We're not asking today, where are we going to go now? What are we going to do? How are we going to get through this? What am I going to do with this sickness? What am I going to go do with this disease? i tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to take it to his house, not to his tomb. I'm taking it to his house because he's not over here. He's not over here. I submit to you this morning that what you had your hope invested in whenever that dies and whenever you bury that and you're confronted with the idea of a buried small g-o-d then you gotta find a Bethel you don't need to look for another tomb you gotta find a Bethel you gotta find a Jerusalem you gotta find the dwelling place of the one true God God Jacob's coming out of the woods. He's got a shovel in his hand. Tears are flowing down the eyes of his family. They become attached to all that. But he holds a shovel in his hand because he just came out of the woods and buried their gods. They thought, man, surely they're going to... They'll come out following him, you know. They'll come out and pray parade behind him. No. Where he laid them, that's where they would be. That's where they would perpetually be they never came out Gandhi's never came out of his tomb the King Elvis although people supposedly seen him alive he's not been out, I'm sorry Princess Diana she's not coming out in her dresses but they're sitting there a lot of big proportion society are standing at the graves of their gods they're standing there waiting for that anchor of their soul to reappear They've not made it out yet. You know what? You know what's tremendous? For some, it doesn't stop them from having faith. Still, yet, in what's buried right there before their eyes, and yet, it's not done a lick of good for them. They keep waiting, they keep holding. Death has claimed their gods. You know, there's other people that wait too in our society, their graves look different. Some of them wait at the bars waiting for their God. Some are waiting on street corners, waiting for their God. Some are waiting in very prestigious office buildings, and banks, waiting for their God, waiting for some spoken or alluded to promise to be fulfilled in their life, waiting for that hope to come true, that anchor that they've always depended on to be sure and steadfast, amen. You know what's happening in society right now? By virtue of God, he's starting to pick off all the other little gods (laughs) that's the reason why our healthcare system is being attacked because to some that's become a god and so he's going to pluck that god off you know what all this is making a way for for someone to stand up and say I got the answer to all of your problems I'll be the hope the spirit of the antichrist to arise and say I I got it all together amen to try to get the masses but you know what the sad thing of this is He ain't going to be able to have the answer. It will appear as so. It will be very, very, very convincing that he does. But while everybody else is standing at their tombs, let the church be standing in the house of God. Hallelujah. While everybody, what's the old song? I'm building my hope on things eternal. I'm going to hold on to that unchanging hand of God. Hallelujah. Those disciples and Mary Magdalene had waited three days. Amen. And they were not disappointed. The angels too. The angels said to them that gathered at the tomb, they said, He is not here. Why seek ye the living? I like that. Why seek ye the living among the dead? In other words, your hope, the anchor of your soul is alive. Your hope that you've held on for these three days interim of time has not been in vain you will not be disappointed he is still alive amen and in all this we got to think about eternity again I can't tell you I'm not a morbid person but there's not a funeral go by that I don't have my mind lassoed on eternity and the brevity of life here on the earth. There's not a funeral that goes by that doesn't make me stand in my shoes and evaluate my own life and where I am and what I'm doing and what's happening or not happening. Not a funeral that does not go by. We gotta start thinking about the anchor of our soul. We gotta start thinking about the hope of glory, amen, that we have not in ourselves, but hopefully in God, amen over the course of our life we develop faith we develop faith in people we develop faith in things but the question I'm trying to bring our minds to is what are you going to do when those things are no longer there what are you going to do when those people are no longer alive what are you going to do when those things are buried in the forest floor of life so to speak what are you going to do Bible tells me that he God is the only one who can bring true salvation to you and I not only is he the anchor of my soul for the present he's the anchor of my soul for eternity and yeah God's of this world may bring satisfaction temporary hope temporary joy a temporary anchor But my God is more. His death made possible salvation, the saving of my soul. Acts 4, 12, neither is there salvation in any other. For there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Calvary was for me. Calvary was for you. Jesus died again so that we might live whenever we go to Calvary, that place of Calvary. From my understanding, they say that the crosses were at the base of Golgotha. At the gate, at the base of that place that was known as the, the place of the skull. And yes, that, the rocky uh, terrain right there actually has a semblance to the look of a skull. They crucified Jesus and the malefactors at the base of that cliff. By and large, the Romans, one of the means of doing this was to intimidate the people. A lot of times, a lot of the crucifixes that took place was a psychological type of thing for everybody else that was still alive in the crown crowd one emperor even said whenever we crucify the guilty he says the most crowded places are chosen where the most amount of people can see and be moved by this fear for these penalties relate not so much to justice as they do for their effect on the people because if we have someone here being crucified and we can strike fear and intimidation into the hearts of the people That will go a whole lot further than this solitary act that's taken place at the base of this hill. And so, whenever the Lord being no different, whenever they crucified Him at Calvary, they wanted that to stay with the minds of the people for years to come. Just be a spirit of intimidation that would linger over them. Amen. To maximize, if you will, the fear and the intimidation that took place that day. But you know what the problem was? those people didn't really know who they were crucifying. They didn't know that the same Lord in Christ that they were crucifying now and that they were using to somehow just breed intimidation and fear into the hearts of people, that the Lord would use that exact same place to be one of the greatest demonstrations of His love and of His salvation for those very same people. They didn't understand what they were doing when they crucified Jesus Christ because he wasn't just another uh, so-called malefactor he was not just an ordinary man I even say this morning Satan did not know the totality of what he was doing whenever he had those who were a part of it crucified the Lord Jesus Christ for Scripture tells us in the New Testament had they known him they would not have crucified him They didn't understand a lot of things. They didn't understand that the 39 stripes that Jesus received with the cat of nine tails to his back would secure, no doubt, the healing for our bodies or they would have never, never done it they did not know that that cross that he would bear on his back that afternoon and carry to Calvary to Golgotha would now become it was a gruesome thing then but now would become a symbol of hope a symbol of salvation a symbol of a possibility a anchor that they could latch onto. they didn't know that the nails that were driven in his hands and feet would just a few days later restore some faith to them whenever they could feel where the nails had been and where the nails had been in his feet would have brought faith back to the disciples they didn't know that the feet that Jesus was crucified with would be forgiven of every sin of his life and finally have life eternal after his they did not know that had they known that they would not crucified him but you do not get the same results whenever a strange God is crucified. You don't get the same results when a false God is crucified. You can bury them in the ground all day long and you won't have these type of happenings. But whenever they try to put the Lord and save you to death, there's gonna be miracle. There's gonna be sustained faith. There's gonna be repentance. There's gonna be salvation. There's gonna be healing. There's gonna be miracles. Amen. Amen. They, did, they didn't know when they put that crown of thorns on his head before he ever made it to that tree But the blood that ran down there he was reversing a curse of humanity's sin from the garden, because the Bible says after the curse that the, the, the earth would be cursed and there would be bramble and there would be thorns and so was the bramble and the thorns that was woven together for a crown and that curse he said I'll take it on my head and blood poured out, and was written. Someone say, "Hallelujah!" Blood was poured out. They didn't understand all that, or they would not have done it. Hallelujah! Hallelujah! <laughs> The one who knew no sin became sin for us. And so their final act, their final right, and everything buried Jesus in a dusty grave. Given only by really means of secrecy, if you will. But Joseph of Arimathea laid him in his own tomb. They bury him, roll that huge stone over it. I want us to know today that we're in the right place. Because if you supposedly lost the anchor of your soul and what you've had faith in, something that you had to manufacture, build, stand back up at times. Support. If the thing that you've had your faith in has been buried today, you're at the right place. Don't, don't, don't stand at that grave with your hands clasped too long. Get to Bethel get to the house of God he's still the anchor of our soul and so the followers not just Mary, but many of them went to the grave of Jesus Christ but you know what even the words of Jesus was after visiting them after his resurrection many of them had been to his tomb you know what he told them though right he says go to Jerusalem go to Jerusalem tarry there you'll be endued with power From on high he said you've been to my tomb I'm not there he says get to my house get to my house and if they wanted Jesus to be that anchor of their soul they had to go to Jerusalem they had to go to his house but the sad part of the story I don't want to linger too much but the sad part of the story is this 500 started the journey Bible speaks of in the New Testament 500 started the journey but those who showed up at Jerusalem in the upper room were 120 where the Spirit fell about 75% if you will of them got distracted with life about 75% if you will went back to some old tombs and old graves still just waiting for a different outcome still just waiting for that thing that they had hope in and invested their life in to turn around and invest back in them 75 percent, but 120 went to the upper room they said no we got to get to the house of god if you'll stand with me this morning i'm closing with this I say this as a, as a plea or a word of encouragement today. It's never too late to bury your little G-O-D. It's never too late. And as a word of encouragement today, I want to encourage someone this morning. Note Jacob and his family even didn't get that task accomplished even till after his name had been changed somebody hear me this morning Jacob had already wrestled with the angel his name had already been from Jacob to Israel prevailing with God but he still didn't get the situation of his little G.O.D. problem taken care of till after that so I'm talking to somebody here this morning that you've already had your name changed you've already had your experience with God it's not too late to grab the shovel and have a family meeting and say, kids, I know this is all you've ever been exposed to, but we're going to bury this God today. And we're going to get to the house of God. And the things that we've attached our hope to and our anchor to in life, we're going to lay that to rest today. We're not. Even, we're, we're, no need to even put any type of demarcation over that because we're not coming back here. But we're going to Bethel. That's where my altar first was. That's what, kids, that's what sustained us all along this That's the reason why I'm coming back with all of this when I just left with a staff. That's the reason why I'm coming back with all of this this morning. So please, this morning, don't let it be you. Don't let it happen to you this morning. The only place to go is the house of the Lord. we got to go to God. He is the anchor of our soul. He is the hope for our eternity. But please, this morning, please don't, please don't grow so dependent upon something. you got to help it serves the reason that God should be helping you. Uplifting you. It's a terrible thing when you've got to uplift what should be uplifting you. Amen. You know, there has been times, and I understand, there is, commonly, just with normal grief, of the loss of something, particularly a loved one or whatever, there is a time of mourning person goes through different stages of grief and there is a time of mourning but there is a juncture in the road where that can be prolonged and where it can have a negative effect and impact I'm telling you don't get to that place with your oh God and over grieve a situation that we just need to just go on amen can we bow our heads in this place today amen across this building the aftermath of bearing your God is that you'll be posed with the question what do I do now where do I go now how do I contend with life now again again I know I've been repetitive somewhat in certain instances today but again I implore thee that if the God that you were putting confidence in isn't in the tomb then go to that God's house hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah and there's only one individual that I know of that satisfies that bill, there's only one individual that I know of that satisfies that little clarification right there and that's the God that you and I serve not in the tomb, so let's go to his house, our anchor is still there, our hope is still there our security is still there, God I come to you right now I'm asking, oh God, that through life God, I know undoubtedly, Jacob had had a relationship with you, but he had separated himself from your house he had separated himself, God from your people, he had went, Lord Jesus, to a land, he had picked up some things, Lord, even his wife, God had brought, Lord Jesus, a God into their home that could not just impact her but it impacted, Lord, by and large their family, God, and it just grew, Lord, worse, and it grew, Lord greater, God, until, Lord you called him back to a place of relationship. You called him back to a place of relationship and dedication and consecration to you. But he knew that he would not be able to solidify that if he did not take care of some of those little G-O-D gods in their life and family. God, I'm coming to you this morning. I pray, oh Lord, I want you to look, Lord, inside of my tent. I want you, oh God, to look inside of my life. Draw my attention to those things that I put anchors in. Draw my attention, God, to the those things that I have put faith in, those things that at times I believe, Lord, I can't live without it. Draw my attention to those things today. Help me, Lord, to speak a eulogy and dig a hole, Lord, and place them in the ground and bury them. Lord, grieve for a little while, but Lord, let me not stay there too long because I need to get to where that altar was first built. I need to get there, O oh Lord, to where I first met you, where I first experienced you. God, let that be my anchor, let that be my rock, let that be my sure place this morning, oh God. Oh, Jesus, I don't have to, Lord, just dance around and contend with the questioning of what I'm going to do. I know what I'm going to do because he lives, he lives, he lives, he lives, he lives lives inside my soul. Oh, I'm not without, I'm not without, I'm not scratching my head. I'm not bum-fuzzled about the, the, the trajectory of light before me. He's the light that's shining on that path. He's not in the tomb. He's in his house he's in his house oh search me oh God and know my thoughts try me and know my thoughts Lord search me oh God know my heart try me and know my thoughts see if there be any wicked way in me oh Lord help me to lay some things to rest that need to be laid to rest today hallelujah hallelujah We you raise your hands right now to the Lord We just begin to love him God I love you I love you I love you I don't want Lord Jesus these things things lord i don't want these things god if i gotta prop it up if i gotta manufacture it if i gotta help it if, if i gotta somehow put the bill for it then it is no good to me it is no good to me oh god god i'm gonna build life upon you god i'm gonna build life god upon you hallelujah jesus hallelujah jesus hallelujah savior